Today I'm joined with Connor, my good friend, and I want to take the time to introduce this man because he honestly helped this podcast be revamped. I was, after my first episode dropped, I was running into a lot of audio and video issues, and uh, I actually ended up doing an endurance challenge with this guy who, um, I'm sure we'll get into that, but once I met him, I was like, this is the reason I started this podcast and I need to get going so I can have the confidence to say, you know, I have a podcast and I want you to be on. And luckily over the last couple months, since we ran that challenge, I've been able to get it revamped and figure out a lot of the video and audio issues that I was having. And and now we're here now. So thank you, Connor, for being extraordinary yourself and, and revamping the fire in me that I needed during that during that downtime of the podcast and I can't wait to get in. This guy has so many interesting stories that uh I uh can't wait to share with you guys. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me and thanks for the uh warm introduction. Uh, I'm excited to be here and I think uh you know I'm a fan of the podcast. I've listened to every episode so far. I told I you I appreciate that. I man. genuinely like it. You know yeah. I, all the guests you've have on are great. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we can keep that momentum going. Definitely man. Definitely and uh, I want to start. So I ran my first triathlon last year. I ran the Olympic distance and everyone was calling me crazy <laughs> for jumping right into the Olympic distance. And then you come over today and you're like, yeah, I'm doing the Sandusky half Ironman. And I'm like, oh yeah, how many, uh, how many triathlons have you done before? You're like, yeah, this is my first. You should join me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into your mindset and what makes you want to do these difficult things? You ran a, you ran a, a half marathon last weekend, mm-hmm. obviously, or not obviously, I guess we'll get into it, but we ran the David Goggins four by four by 48 challenge at your place and you orchestrated it. This is your third year doing it. So let's start with that. What, what made you want to do that 48 mile challenge? Explain what it is. What made you want to do it three years ago and why have you kept on coming back to it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, the, the David Goggins 4x48 challenge, for anyone who doesn't know, basically you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And so uh, this was our third year doing it. And we started the first year, my buddy Riley, it, it's actually him who had the idea. He called me up one day and he was like, Connor, you want to do, you want to do a challenge? And I'm like, sure, what kind of challenge you got in mind? <laughs> He's like, do you know what the David Goggins 4x48 is? I'm like, yes, I do. Let's do it. Let's go for it. I've always thought that sounded really cool. Um, why I thought it, thought it sounded cool, I just like the idea of challenging myself. I like the idea of pushing myself, seeing what I'm capable of, um, pushing the limits, and just kind of, I, I think all that helps you to grow as a person, mm. and it definitely helps me grow. So I was instantly drawn to it. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And, uh, not only that, but you know, the challenge itself is a great opportunity to raise money for things that uh, you're passionate about, charities, uh, mission trips, whatever it may be. So my friend Riley at the time was working at this gym that was going on this mission trip uh, and we raised money to go on that mission trip. So it was really cool being yeah. able to raise money towards a goal. And then um, we ended up going on that mission trip down to the Dominican Republic, had an awesome experience down there uh so much so that it kind of inspired us to do it year after year from that point on um so the second year we went and did it again uh this time 
So the first year we raised money to go down to the Dominican and go on that mission trip. And the second year we actually raised money for the missionary site down there. Um, I think we raised something like a little bit more than six grand and it was enough to help improve their facilities and, and, you know, increase the pay to some of the volunteers there. And, uh, then year three, we actually, uh, were able to raise money to bring a kid up to America to kind of pursue his dreams. And, yeah. um, it's kind of part of the why of why we've been doing it, but I can't lie if, uh, you know, for my own selfish reasons, I just love it. I love the challenge year after year. And, uh, it's funny too because after year one, Riley and I look at each other. We're like, "That sucked. We're never <laughs> doing this again, ever, ever." And then, you know, the year crept around. Year two got closer and closer, and we're like, "Are we gonna do it? Are we gonna do it?" You know, Dave down at the site, he's asking us, "You know, can we help raise the money?" It's like, "All right, we got a why. Let's do it." Um, and then after year two, same thing. We're never doing this again. <laughs> but every year, every year after we do it, we just, uh, you know, we grow more in love with it. It's like, that was a great challenge. And, and it's it makes us see so much more of what we're capable of. Never ever in my life did I think I'd be able to run 48 miles in, you know, two or two days, basically. Right? Yeah. So those are kind of the reasons we're drawn to it. Now, we're, when he brought up the initial, let's do this, were you running at that point in time? Had you had any experience running? Were you working out? What was, what was it like? What was it like? What was your physical capacity at that point? Yeah, that's a great point. And I want to, um, so if I, if I rewind to my career as like a distance or endurance athlete throughout my, my whole life, I was a cross country and distance track runner in high school. But I, I did that for all four years. But I was JV all the way. I'm by no means uh, a gifted athlete. Mm. And I've got, I mean, I've got asthma. So, you know, so like a lot of people like hear these things and think like, oh, he must be like, you know, super gifted or super athletic. No, like anyone can do this. Right. You know, me of all people, I'm JV. There's so many better athletes out mm. there. Anyone can do these types of things. Um, so I, I did have a background in running, but I think three years ago, what was that? Maybe my senior year of college or junior year of college, I wasn't really running in college. You know, I was just getting by, you know, having fun on the weekends, getting my, my schoolwork done. I, I was probably just lifting, but I, I didn't have much cardio at that point. But I, I was like, I, I sort of underestimated the challenge uh, yeah. year one. I was like, you know, it's only four miles at 12 a time. times. Yeah. That sound like, it's so easy. It's, yeah. I remember thinking that it's like, wait, I can run four miles. It's only 12, four miles. Okay. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, <laughs> and then the 3 a.m. alarm clock goes off. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like the, that, that beep, beep. It's like, I, you wake up, you felt like you just went to bed right before. Yeah. It's like, but yeah, so I underestimated year one. I was cocky going into it for sure. That's mm -hmm. part of the reason I said yes. Like, oh, we're going to knock this out of the park. And I also think that's one of the greatest parts of the challenge. Oh, yeah. Is the, yeah. the humbleness that it brings to you. And the ability to be humbled like, oh, wow. Yeah, these people that actually do these things have to conquer these these emotions. And they really are on a different on a different level because of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely a huge part of it. But... Uh, I, I tell everybody, so three years having done this now, year three was by far the most fun. Because, so much fun. Yeah, we had guys like you. So so uh, for the listeners, like year three, we, we kind of assembled a team. Um, it wasn't just me and Riley running this challenge anymore. We had a bunch of friends and friends of friends uh, who wanted to run 
so we figured we all get together in, in a group and run it together um and such a unique group like oh, everyone yeah. yeah so you guys are like childhood best friends you and riley mm-hmm. and then we have you know me steve and larry who you know all went to john carroll together but I was never really that close with either of them. You know, they played soccer. Sure, yeah. I played football. We were all more so like acquaintances. Steve and I were a little bit closer. Never really knew Larry that well. And then the last man in the pack was, what was his name? Again? Ryan. Ryan. I can't remember the last name, but he's, you know, Ryan Mr. Miyagi. Was, was the, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Mr. Miyagi. Ryan was a Marine who was just in Afghanistan like eight months ago, yeah. who was just a part of the local gym that that Riley had some uh, friends and he used to work at. And he's like, I'm joining. And he, this guy's like in his early 40s and just suffering through this challenge, which honestly made it so much more enjoyable yeah. for us. <laughs> <laughs> he, he brought some good laughs to us, but also um, I think he made it easier on us because we're like, this guy is going through hell. Oh, my gosh. I mean, big guy, too, right? Big guy. Yeah. And he was just going through it because... He's in his 40s and he's trying to run 48 miles. So that made it so much more enjoyable. And I, dude, I'm so thankful that you um, invited us and we're so inviting because it's a weird thing to just go to somebody's house that you don't know and spend 48 hours there. I remember my girlfriend looking at me like, You really doing this? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to do it. Like, and I definitely had my doubts where I'm like, You know what? I'm just going to text in the group chat. Nobody even has my number. I'm just going to be like, You know what? I got something going on this week and I can't make it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad that I didn't because it's so true. I know you're a huge Jesse Itzler fan. Like, oh, yeah. man, if you could build that life resume, like I've told so many people about the stories from that weekend. Yeah. And I feel like I lived an entire life in two days. We had a lot of great experiences, you know, in that two days. I think it helps that we were like awake for almost all of it, but, uh, <laughs> but, but um, no, you're right. It was such a great group that came together and I was worried like before the weekend, I didn't know if it was going to be weird, awkward or what, because I, I you know, I, I didn't know you, I didn't know Larry, I didn't know Ryan. My parents asked me like who all was going to be coming over. I'm like, I don't know. And they were kind of worried too. They didn't know anyone. They were like, right. are they safe kids? I'm like, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and no one was like texting back in the group chat. We had some other guys, some of my closer friends who were supposed to do it. Um, and then... Uh, you know, they, they commit, they soft committed. They said, yeah, we'll run it. And then as weeks and months got closer and closer, right. they were like, oh yeah, we're, we haven't trained. We're not doing it. So then I was super happy that the John Carroll guys came through because then we did have a big group and it was great. Riley and I were t- like tired of doing it just us too, because like, you know, we, we would get just mad with each other you know we're, we're waking up 3 a.m we don't want to talk to each other we're just running just you know when you're with one other guy for the entire 48 hours you got nothing to say to him you you get bored and you're just doing your thing but with a whole group we had such a great atmosphere everyone was you know on the same wavelength like this sucks but we're gonna have the most fun doing it and we mm. did um great time doing it and it helps too like us doing themes, you know, yeah. mixing it up, doing different trail runs, having people throw water balloons at us, stuff like that just makes it even even more better. Yeah, it kind of blinds your mind and it and it and it shows the power of the mind. Like if you if you're able to focus on this, it's always not about the pain and the suffering. Like you can see the see the silver linings in a lot of these different things. And yeah. I think the overall message of like, wow, we're really doing this 
something that like we're conquering the doubts of our own mind as well as making a memory that will last a lifetime was able to overpower our brain when like it got really painful. And I think that we were all able to keep that in perspective as we were, you know, through our conversations and different things like that. Like there was, there was not an option for anybody to quit as, as bad as anyone wanted to even, even Ryan, when he was in the pain cave, (laughs) (laughs) he was in the pain cave. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was most definitely in the pain cave. I remember, um, it was two a, we were on our 4am run and it was completely dark in the neighborhood and, he had that little beeper that said like one and a half miles. Yeah, yeah. Nine thirty-two pace, <laughs> and we could, he was like kind of falling behind, and I think it was, it said like two and a half miles, and he had a mile and a half left because he goes, he screamed at himself. He goes, it's only a mile and a half left, pussy, or something like that. Dude, but my dude, favorite was like, uh, we're just running in the pack, and you know, the quiet of the night, four a.m., and you just hear. Out of nowhere, these grunts like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the man yeah. is just absolutely suffering. Yeah, oh but he's God. an absolute trooper, though. I mean, to do absolute it at that trooper. age, and you know, he said he wouldn't have done it if it weren't for us. Like, he wasn't gonna go out and do this by himself. He wasn't gonna hold himself accountable, which is just another reason to do it in a group, right? Right, and that's another guy that I remember night one. It was like, is this marine gonna come? And he was kind of like, eh, I might just like do it on my own. And man, another guy that was just super thankful. To, to get it done and do it with us. So like there's so many lessons in that that I take with me. It's like if if something sounds intriguing, you just got to say yes sometimes, right? Like if you think too much and ponder on it, you could find a million excuses to not do it, but just find one reason to do it, you know? And that's just, you know, hey, you're if it sucks, you're going to learn something. If it's great, you're going to learn something too. And I think you're a guy that has done so many different things. What is your mindset when it comes to that and just like putting yourself out there, doing something new, whether it's hard, uncomfortable, and how do you just get yourself in those different scenarios to learn? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I love new experiences. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a life enthusiast, so I find passion in everything, and I'm passionate about a whole lot of different things. And when I see experiences come my way, I, you know, I, I do my best to take him. You asked me if I want to do this podcast. I'm like, I've never done a podcast before. I didn't think twice about it. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, when, when, what time I'm there. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of value in new experiences and seeking out new experiences and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. All of that uh, creates a lot of growth opportunities. And, um, you know, I, I like to grow as a person at the end of the day. And I like to experience these new things. I find joy in doing them. Um, so ultimately, you know, I'll never really turn much of anything down. I'm, I'm always down to do whatever it is. My friend texts me, I'm a yes man. Like I will do it. Even if it's something that doesn't particularly sound enjoyable to me at the time, I think there's still value in doing experiences like that just to see, you never know what, uh, what type of emotions or, or how you might feel about something after you do it. Um, that's why I think it's worth doing those things. I mean, what else am I going to do, really? I don't I don't want to waste my life just sitting around watching TV. And don't get me wrong, I watch TV. Right. But, but, like, I don't want to, you know, I, I can only do that for so many hours. I like to be out and about, going out, trying new things, being adventurous, because I think, to me, that leads to uh, living a more complete life. And, you know, we're only here for a short time, so I want to I maximize that as, mo- as much as possible. I completely agree. And I think we have a lot of com- in common there. 
I was a guy that when I was John Carroll, I said yes to every single thing. Yeah, and that, that's and good. It, and it was great. Um, at one point, it got like a little bit overwhelming because I had my hands in so many different buckets. But at mm-hmm. that point, you're able to be like, all right, that's cool for me. This is good. Like, let's eliminate that. But I was at a place where I said yes to everything. But thank God I did because even when I was overwhelmed, still putting my hands in different buckets, I was able to find out so much about myself from doing all these different things. And I think I've still like brought that into the real world this past year and things like that where, you know, people, if I asked the opinion of my friends or somebody else, they'd probably be like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, probably not yeah. like I wouldn't do it, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't do it. It's like, I think a lot of the times you just got to say yes, you know, it's and a user way. Just say yes. See what happens. Right. See what happens. Hey, if, it, if, if you don't like the endurance challenge, you don't have to do it the next year. Yeah. But what about if you love it? What about if you love it and you want to do it every year for the rest of your life, which honestly, I called my parents afterwards and I was like, it's the most fun I've ever had. Like seriously, maybe not the most fun I've ever had, but it's up there. Seriously, it was was up up there. there Yeah, this year especially. So much fun, so many memories, so many laughs, just something that if I ever come down with dementia, like that... Those memories will not be knocked out. You think of my that mind. one's going to stick? That yeah. one's going to stick, along with all the other things that I've done that just truly empower me to to wake up the next day and be like so super happy about about life and what it has to offer. Because that's those are the those are the ones that remind me of it. Yeah, you brought up a good point um, about being overwhelmed at times. With this type of mentality that you and I share, where you want to do all these things all the time, it can be easy, I think, to get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but I heard a quote once from uh, you know my friend whose brother told it to him. I don't know where it originated, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I'm happiest when I'm juggling ten items and I'm able to keep eight up. You know, you might not be able to keep everything up, but you're always busy. You're always constantly doing something. And I think when I look at my life, that that applies to me. Like you know, there's some things that I end up eventually paying less attention to or, or let fall off, but I always replace with something else. I've always got something mm. going on, something I'm passionate about. Right. It'll always come back around. Like exactly. I, bought, yeah, I bought a guitar. Yeah. Yeah, mo- me too. <laughs> I bought a guitar four months ago, probably three, four months ago. Cause I'm going on a fishing trip with my family Ooh, in like nice. a month and a half to Canada. And there's like no reception on a Island and five hours North of Toronto in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, all right, I got five months. I'm going to learn how to play the guitar. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, I'm working. I'm gone 10 hours a day for work. I'm trying to start this podcast. I'm trying to train for yeah. a marathon. I'm trying to read books. I'm yeah. trying to, you know, still be a good boyfriend. And it's like, the guitar has to wait for a little bit, but that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> it has to wait. Right. But eventually when you, when time frees up, you'll come back to it. Right? Yeah. And it's, and it's still a good investment. I'm glad it's just staring at me dead in the eyes. Cause one day I'll come back to it. I agree. That's exactly the relationship I have with my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> eventually I'll learn to learn to, you know, play some Luke Combs and sing along. And right. It'd be great. But. Yeah. He didn't start till he was 22 or something. Playing oh, the I thought he's, Oh, the 20, guitar. Yeah. He started vocals young. Yeah. Vocals. Yeah young but he didn't start playing until he was 21 yeah that's very true i forget yeah he talked about that so dude tell me about this past well how have you been training for this triathlon yeah um so it's funny i had a a friend um from back in college who did a half ironman triathlon Mm -hmm. he posted on his instagram I, you know, immediately slid up. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, had a bunch of questions. How'd you train? And he just sent me over. He was like, here, 
uh, here's this training manual. Found it online for free. It's a 16-week program. Mm. I was like, cool. I didn't even know at that time I was going to end up wanting to do one, but I saved it, held on to it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I do want to do one. And I've got a training manual, 16 weeks. Uh, you know, the, the half Ironman is... Um, and explain what the distances are. Yeah, yeah. So the half Ironman triathlon, the order is swimming, biking, running. And the swim is 1.2 miles, uh, bike 56 miles, and then the run is 13.1, a half marathon. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, didn't think too much into it. I was like, I've got this training manual. It breaks it down day by day, uh, which I think is super valuable. I think it can be really daunting to look at like the end goal and think, oh my gosh, I'm gonna do all that in you know under six hours. That's the goal at least. But um, I don't have to think about it like that. I can just look at this manual and it shows me, you know, do this, do the swim this day, bike this day, run this much of this day. It makes it really granular and easy to understand. Um, and that's basically my guide. Now, I don't follow it exactly at all because, you know, life gets in the way. I, I, I was in Columbus last week and visiting friends. I couldn't swim or, uh, or really bike down there. So, you know, you got to make do with um, your circumstances. But I, I generally try to, you know, stick to around like the weekly guide. However many swims, run, runs, and bike rides I'm supposed to do, I try to get nearby that. Yeah. And most weeks I fail too. Most weeks I don't get every single run I'm supposed to do in or every single bike ride. Uh, but I, I give myself a little bit of leeway. Mm-hmm. I think this 16 week program is kind of from from couch to to uh, to race. Yeah. So I think I'm coming in with a little bit more of a base than being on couch. Like I've been in relatively good cardio health ever since you know the 48 challenge was a couple yeah. months ago. So. Um, I'm not worried about it. I feel great, honestly. My resting heart rate is at an all-time low. I feel like I got a lot of energy throughout the day. If I can just keep this going for a couple more months, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I definitely agree, dude. And sub six hours is no joke. I ran the Olympic distance, which is half of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was at 3.06. Um, nice. That's so good. you would be going a little bit faster than me for the entire the entire portion, which is cruising. Like I, I trained very hard for that triathlon. Yeah. I wasn't killing it by any means, but 306, sub six, I'd love to do a sub six one day. It's definitely on my my bucket list. Um, and a sub six is moving, but you'll definitely, dude, it's, you'll definitely get I the think, sub six. I think it's the right number to be a challenge. I think that's a very, I think it's a realistic goal. If I train hard enough, I, I can get to it, but it's hard enough that I'm going to have to put in the work. Right. I'd so. say it's like right on the cusp of doable. Like yeah, it's exactly. not like you can't do 16 weeks and do sub three hour marathon, mm-hmm. but you could train 16 weeks and do a, a sub three thirty probably. Yeah. And like, we'll see what it looks like too. I mean, I've got some nice equipment. I, I did invest in a pretty nice bike, so that's going to help there. Yeah. Um, you're allowed to use a wetsuit, which may help a little bit in the open water swim. Definitely. Um, but my, my rough breakdown of it is one hour swim, three hour bike, two hour run. And I know I can do under two hours in the run if I'm fresh. I don't know about having doing, you know, the swim and the bike before that, but we're just going to see what happens. That's where I messed up was I was so worried about swimming because I couldn't swim more than 100 meters and biking just because I was like, well, anybody could bike 26 miles, but... It was more so like I wanted to get my quads ready. So I did a lot of swimming and a lot of biking. Mm -hmm. And I kind of laid off the running just because I had been running a lot before that. Well, 
And I kept on saying, just get through the swim. Cause I, it was a mile swim for mine. Actually, it, it was a little bit more than, uh, than half of 1.2. It was, it was 1500. Yeah. That's... So 1500 meter swim. And I was like, just get through that. And then you can get through the rest. At least you're not going to drown and die. <laughs> <laughs> and I got through that and I was like, all right, I'm on the bike feeling pretty good. And boom, once I hit my feet, hit the ground for the run, my quads were like dead. Mm. No, I didn't bring any nutrition with me. Oh, like no, nothing on the bike. You nothing. didn't. Uh. I had nothing. I was just drinking like the water. Very unprepared. Like I was one of the only people without a wetsuit. <laughs> I was the only. Yeah. <laughs> I was the only person without clip-in bike shoes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I did. I did not pass one single person on the bike all day. It oh was no! Absolutely demoralizing. Like every everyone and their mother was passing. I would like if there was a slow lane, everyone boom, everyone was just around me. Oh, it's tough. It was tough. It's but tough for the morale. <laughs> it is. It is. But I I learned a lot, and I was at the point where like you know what, like I don't want to invest in all this stuff, and then just realize like I hate it. Like let me find if I truly love it. And now like I did have. Now it sucked during, but it's one of those things where like. Now looking back on it, I was like, that whole process was so much fun. Yeah. And like my parents came out for it. My girlfriend was there at four in the morning. Like the sun's rising. You're hopping into Lake Erie. It was um, at four in the morning. Uh, we had to be there at four in the morning. Wow. It's I think we jumped in the water at 6 a.m. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's early. A funny story about when we jumped in the water, Steve and I were right next to each other and okay. we're just both like first triathlon. Steve's a beast. I'm just like, is he a beast too with swimming and everything? Like all aspects. He's just, he's just like an endurance guy. He, you know, yeah. like he's a soccer player, skinnier than me. He's him. Yeah, man. he just he's he him. Just, <laughs> he just, he's just like one of those guys you know that is super has a super strong tank that like he can go because when you run with him, you understand it. He's that guy that's having a conversation and you're just like shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) um but he goes to we're about to jump in the water the sun's just rising and our nerves are flowing and he uh he goes to pull down his goggles and the goggles just snap and like everyone's jumping in and steve's just like all right i guess i'm gonna swim without goggles (laughs) luckily somebody picked them up off the floor and tied them together in like 0.2 0.2 seconds wow and steve was about to jump in and we were like stop steve steve and he goes threw him on and just took off what and a clutch save from that guy and steve correct me if i'm wrong but i think steve did like 245 i think it was like 20 25 minutes ahead of me he was oh, i flying. don't doubt it that yeah yeah kid's an animal absolute animal dude i i love the endurance part of i think what what attracts me about it is um the sustained mental aspect of it to where like if I were to get into powerlifting, I think that's attractive as well, but you need to wrap your mind around like 10 seconds when it really comes time to go. Yeah. Um, but when you do these longer endurance events, like you have to conquer the doubts of your own mind that obviously creep in for sometimes hours on end. And I think that that's where a lot of growth and life lessons ultimately come in to play is that is that part of the reason why you do it yeah that's a huge part of the reason why um and and it's not just that too there's so many other benefits uh, endurance sports um the conversations i have with myself when i'm out on a run or when i'm swimming laps in a pool 
it's me time. It's time that I can decompress. I can think about what's going on in my life. What, what, what am I thinking about in the future? It's just time that I can spend just, you know, at peace and and just thinking. Um, I think it's important to think, uh, and aside from any mental benefit, I think the physical and health benefit of endurance sports is not to be understated too. Like no one talks about, uh, I'm sure some people talk about it, but you hear all the time about COVID and all these other diseases, but you know what's killing people way more than anything else is cardio disease. It's the number one killer in America, and it's yeah. not even close. So promoting good cardio, cardiovascular health, having a good healthy heart rate um, is all things that endurance, you know, endurance sports help to promote and yeah. i think it's very important because ultimately it's going to help you live to be longer and you know lead a uh have a longer life and hopefully do more things and be healthier during that time that you're alive um and not just that too like i, I, I i'm a pretty balanced guy so i'm not a crazy health nut i like to eat whatever food i want to on the weekends right. like i'll pig out and i have no self-control eat a whole bag of chips bunch <laughs> of beer whatever yeah um so you know it helps when you do endurance uh, sports that you can burn off all those calories. Right. So Bounce it's good for yeah. Bit. So yeah, on top of the mental and the, it's great physical and you know just for your overall health. It's it's the best of everything. That's why I love it. Yeah, and and I, I'm glad you brought brought that up because that's one of the things honestly that haunts me and scares me is at one point in my life not being able to move because I'm sick for one day, and I'm just like, I'm in a deep dark depression not actually but like <laughs> i don't i just can't believe that i'm not able to go outside and like do something that i enjoy yeah or just get a quick workout and it's like it's it's the root of all evil for me like and and the day that i'm not able to do that is super scary and i think that's one of the main motivators why i take care of my body um and want to live like a long long life with longevity yeah you know well you see people who do it right you see you know, if you've been around enough old people in your life, you've seen a 60-year-old who looks like they're 40 or you've or 30, and you see a 60-year-old who looks like they're 80, like creeping on death's door. So, like, you see the effects that it has on the course of your life. It compounds. If you live a healthy lifestyle, you can live to be a very, you know, you can live a very long life and hopefully a very healthy life. And I know people who travel late into their 80s and 90s. Um, Ski trips. Yeah, yeah right. Like yeah, stuff like that. It's tennis. Like, and I want to be able to do those things, you know, in my old age because what else are you going to do when you're retired? Right. You know, you've got all this time on your hands, you know, after working your whole life. You want to be able to make the most of this time at the right. end of your life. So you better be healthy, right? Right. And, you know, obviously there's some things you can't control. 100%. But yeah. you can control this. Yeah. Definitely taking care of yourself, just looking deeper into everything and really recognizing how your body feels and just, just staying ahead of being sick and oh, it, it does, it does, it truly scares me. Mm-hmm. And that's a 40 year difference you're talking about. If you're 60 and feel like 40, if you're 60 and feel like you're 80, yeah. it's a 40 year difference. You know, yeah. that's an entire lifetime that you could feel, man. Oh my God. Well, dude, I want to transition. That's enough about endurance sports. <laughs> I love them so much. We could talk all day about it. They're great. Um, so much fun. If anybody's ever is, is listening to this and wants to do an endurance sport, reach out to one of us. Um, I know it can be daunting to get started. There was like some people in the triathlon community, even the, the day that I showed up that were kind of like 
giving me shit for doing the Olympic distance first. The guy literally <laughs> right next to me had a big beer belly on him. And he was like asking how many triathlons I did. Cause I'm sure that's the sword that he dies on and thinks he's yeah. tough because of it. But no, it's uh, honestly, I'm, I'm pointing out one guy, the whole entire community was so inviting. I went to different events. Anybody I talked to about it, I love the community, but there was this one guy that really rubbed me the wrong way. And kind of told me I was making a big mistake by doing the Olympic distance first. That guy's got something going on. What? What? Right. Who's gonna? <laughs> like, you're out there. You're doing something. Like, like how are you? Get, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. He's like, did you get your block training in? And I just said yes. I, was, <laughs> I, I still don't know what block training. is. I think like. it probably means like brick sessions, right? Yeah. Like, like doing a run and a bike right after each other. Yeah. I just said yes and kind of pawned it off. Yeah. I, did, I, I had no idea what it was. I'm like, oh yeah, I got a lot of those in. That's my <laughs> guess. I don't. Know. I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Connor, I want to transition. The reason, the um, the main reason I wanted to have you on, and um, I, I I told you you were one of the people that like revamped my my fire to want to bring back this podcast when times got difficult because I'm not a not a computer guy, I'm not a video guy. I don't know how all this stuff works, um, and I think there's still something in the back of my head during every podcast that's like. Oh shit! Is this actually recording? Or because <laughs> I've had so many doubts about it. Yeah. And uh, so when we first met up for the challenge four, three months ago, the first time that we met, we had a great crew. Mm-hmm. First night, we're all the nerves are there. We're going out for our first run at midnight, right around eight p.m. And our buddy Steve, mutual friend Steve, brings up the story of you doing something absolutely fucking absurd yeah um when you were how old are you 19 19 at the time 19 and you decided to pack a singular book bag and hitchhike across the united states yep and when i heard that i was like holy like (laughs) it's funny how you like have a perception of someone when you meet them and you kind of create an image in your of your mind like who they are like all right that's probably like an hour into meeting you and then I'm like, oh, this is like cool guy, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, you went through that. So I have a completely different image of like who I think you are now. And like, I want to pick your brain about everything. And that's the reason why you're here right now. So dude, take us. I know there's a lot to the story and we'll dissect a lot of it throughout, but just take me through the beginning stages. Where were you at in your life to the point? When, when did the idea rise mm-hmm. to the point when you're like, fuck it? I am packing a bag and I'm going to sit on the freeway. Yeah. Wow. So I, and I love talking about this too, so I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, the, the most important thing here too, uh, that has to be said first is that this was not an original idea. So there was a guy named Rudy Lankenkamp. He was, um, a fellow student at Ohio state at the time who he did. So you were at Ohio state at, at the time. Yeah. Well, actually I was, taking a semester off when i did this actual trip so just beforehand but essentially uh what what happened was rudy did the exact same thing that i did and he did it first he actually paved the way for the trip he helped me plan for my trip and none of it would have ever happened if it weren't for him um so he hitchhiked coast to coast across america he did a year before i did um and so he was doing his trip uh so a year before in the summer i was so at this time 18 and um 
he was posting about it as he was, you know, doing it. He was posting on Instagram and friends were shouting it out. And we must have had a mutual friend or something because I see it and I'm like, I'm on vacation looking at this. I'm like, what? This guy's hitchhiking? What? <laughs> what? So I check out the page. It's like, oh, he's really doing it. And it's yeah. like, no, like he's already been here, here and here. I'm like, wow, I didn't know you could. I didn't know you could hitchhike. I've, like, I've heard of hitchhiking. I didn't think people did it. <laughs> yeah, it was like in the 70s. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's like an old pastime. Yeah. And I just instantly, like upon first sight, thought it was the coolest thing ever. Because I'm someone who loves that adventurous spirit, who loves to travel, uh, but always thought like travel is a really expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. But then it all clicked when I saw that. I was like, well, this isn't expensive. Right. It's free transportation. And he's sleeping outside. You know, he's sleeping in hammocks and stuff. I'm like, this is almost completely free i'm like at that point i was sold on first sight i was like i'm doing this next year at this time no matter what it takes um and i told everyone i was with i was on the vacation with with some buddies of mine i was like you guys seeing this you guys seeing this and they're like oh that's pretty cool i was like no it's really cool (laughs) and um and so it began that uh a year before i started kind of like planning out like okay what does this actually you know look like start reading like the Wikipedia article on hitchhiking, like, well, like how do you, where do people normally go to do right. it? How, and then just start hitting up this guy in particular, Rudy. I'm like, dude, I think it's so cool what you're doing. Like, blah blah blah. You know, when, when you get back uh, to OSU in the fall, let's get together. Let's grab coffee. I'd love to, you know, hear about more about these stories. And super super nice guy. He was more than willing. Sat down, got uh, lunch, I think a couple of times, and um, told me, you know, all these crazy stories. Uh, that happened on his trip but not just that helped me realize what it would take for me to do something like this and talked about what type of gear he brought with him um things that you wouldn't even think of beforehand but but since he did it he knew he had prior experience so he started helping me plan out all this stuff um and this is still many many months before the actual day but it's like okay you know um i know everything that i need to know now i just have to go and do it and Mm -hmm. uh and um so i set a time uh in may because uh it was probably actually actually going to be closer to june but uh i ended up taking that spring semester off school entirely and it got warm enough in may in ohio and wherever else i was going to be traveling that i was like you know what what am i waiting for it's time to go let's go i think i probably left first week in may which would have been this week four years ago wow yeah um and uh packed up you know all my whatever i thought i might need some clothes some nutrition lots of socks lots of underwear a little bit of self-defense um what'd you bring for self-defense yeah self-defense is a funny one because and like hardly nothing (laughs) um i brought like a a taser that i bought off amazon like some cheap thing and then (laughs) and then like a a pretty dull knife and uh, and uh, by the time I got to Savannah, which is like a few days into the trip, I realized I had too much weight in my backpack because it, it weighed like 40 pounds. And even though I'm hitchhiking, I'm still walking a lot. Right. I'm walking like 15 miles a day. And to do that with a 40-pound backpack on, it's like super heavy. Super heavy. Super heavy. So like, I mean, yeah, so I lost a lot of weight on the trip. But, but basically... Uh, 
I realized like I need to get rid of some weight. Like there's some things I realized I'm not really using. Um, I'm gonna ship them home just to get rid of some weight. So the taser was one of the things I shipped home. Um, so then I just had that knife and that knife I didn't even carry on my person. It was in the backpack. So if I'm in the vehicle and my backpack is in the back of the vehicle, I basically defense. <laughs> right, right. But I had already, by the time I got to Savannah, felt so comfortable with people and just, you know, had a lot of faith in humanity. Wasn't scared of, at all about getting into people's cars that it, it didn't matter. Hmm. So explain the beginning of the trip. And because for me, originally hearing the story, it's like, wow, how does this start? Are you getting 10 minute rides? Like, are you getting dropped off exit to exit the whole way down? Mm -hmm. So I guess start off with the scope. So where did you start and where did you, how did you make your way around the country and then come back and kind of take us from the beginning? Like what was, what was the first ride like and, and things like that? Yeah. So from, you know, a top down view looking, uh, I planned out my whole route to an extent. I realized when you're hitchhiking, you know, you might not follow the route exactly. You're <laughs> yeah. not going to hit everything. But if I can generally follow along these lines, uh, I, I planned out a route to basically go south to Florida first, westward from there type deal. Uh, along the way, stopping at as many big cities and national parks um, as possible because those were things I wanted and to do. Starting see. in Akron, Ohio, right? Canton, Ohio. Canton, Ohio. Yeah, okay. same difference. But, yeah. um, so day one was super interesting. It set the tone for the rest of the, of the trip, basically. Um, woke up 5 a.m., you know, final final gear check, packed my bag, make sure I got everything <laughs> ready to go, um, hop in the shower, took a really long shower. I don't know when my next one is. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, you know, walk out the door and... Uh, you know, the, the highway's not super far from my home, so I forgot I just, you know, walk to the highway. My, my, my friends were, like, offering to, like, take me to the highway. I was like, no, no, no I gotta have a true start. I'm gonna walk. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but me in my head, I was, there's such a good thing as a uh, good on-ramp to hitchhike versus a bad on-ramp to hitchhike, because that's primarily where I was standing. I was standing on the sides of on-ramps. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had built up in my head. I was like, "Well, the the closest on ramp to my uh, to my house, I don't think it's a good one." So I decided to, I opted to walk like three miles further to this other on ramp. I was like, "I'll start here." Yeah. But that was like an uphill walk. I spent like an hour. I was already sweating by the time I even got to the first. What's, on -ramp. what's a good on ramp? Just space. Yeah. So you want width. So you want it to be wide, uh, a big shoulder, easy for them to pull over, and then length. Um, Length is good for two reasons. Uh, one, you know, they have a lot of time as they're coming up the on-ramp to think about it. Mm. Like, hmm, I see this hitchhiker. Do I want to pick this hitchhiker up? And then um, if it's a longer on-ramp, they're typically going slower too, so they don't have to slow down as much when they do pull over. Uh, so, And those are big factors. There Because there's some on-ramps that are like super like short and spout and they just go straight up yeah it's hard much harder to hitchhike on those it really is yeah uh, you you learn that um so but but <laughs> but the the on-ramp that i opted to skip past it would have worked fine i <laughs> but i was like whatever we, we went to this one and uh, i'm standing out there i just announced the world i think I, I put out like a post right before i left it was like by the time you're reading this i'll be on the road <laughs> um 
and uh and i'm standing there smiling at every car that comes past you know big old grin on my face got my thumb sticking out and i'm just getting met with so many mean glares everyone's like pissed that i'm standing there like they're just they're just looking at you like what is this kid doing like 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 i'm like whoa didn't expect that reaction i'm like 10 minutes go by i'm like oh my gosh like no one's even like slowing down they're just all looking (laughs) (laughs) i'm like do i look like so (laughs) um there's some park nearby with a gazebo and i like i go I, i take a breather i like i walk over the gazebo sit down for a second and just think about it like what's going on like i like this is not the reaction i was expected but like yeah. like is this really what it's gonna be like i'm like i'm like shut up silly like it's been 10 minutes you know stand out there give it another go like like just see what happens you, you know you you told everyone you're doing this you can't back out now <laughs> um and and so i went i stood for another five five minutes or something um and some guy uh danny miller pulled over in a in a jeep it was a, it was a sunny beautiful day and so he's got this Jeep with the doors off. He's like, where are you going? I was like, south. He's like, all right, I'm going to, I think, New Failure or something, 20, 20 miles south. I was like, that's not much, but I'll take it. And he, <laughs> yeah, and he broke the ice. And I'd never been in a Jeep without doors on it. I was like, yeah. that's a new experience already. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so it only took me 20 miles, so be it. Um, next ride, uh, so then I get off and immediately start uh you know hitchhiking the next on ramp in the in new failure wherever i'm at and uh the next ride came pretty quick five minutes go by these guys are in like a work truck they say they got to go drop off this trailer but after that they're headed south somewhere else and i was like okay do i want to go with them to drop off the trailer what if you know that's diverting from the route and that also could be kind of scary for me i don't know if i can trust these guys but I did, um, for better or for worse. And it was also a truck bed ride, which I found out later on are my favorite. So I sat in the bed of the truck. Ah. Um, really fun, really peaceful, just looking up at the stars. And I think it's illegal, too. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, don't know. <laughs> I did maybe a few illegal things on this trip. But, um, I actually had a few run-ins with Stadies and stuff, too. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Um, whatever. They take me another 20 minutes down the road. I'm like, thanks. Um and then and then another guy picks me up and he's going another 20 minutes down the road to cambridge i'm like yeah sure i'll go um and then like by this time i get dropped off i'm like it's noon i'm like half the day's gone by i'm only an hour south of where i started i'm like dang this is kind of harder than i thought Mm. but i've gotten three rides so it's it's doable right um stopped in mcdonald's got like a one dollar mcchicken sandwich or something refuel and then hit go back up to the on ramp. And when I went back up, I got you know I got my whale, my big ride. Uh, this this engineer guy um, from Cleveland, he was driving all the way down I seventy seven basically uh, to go visit his mother, his elderly mother down in South Carolina. He asked me how far I was going, and I said as far as you're willing to take me. He said, well I'm headed down to South Carolina. I said. You know, if you're willing, I'll, I'll ride along. And, and and he was willing, so hopped on in. Wow. We drove 350 miles together, and then he we got to Winston Salem. Um, I believe that's South. North, Car- North no, Carolina. it's North. You're right. You're right. North Carolina. Um, at that point in time, he had to start going. You know, towards the beach 
and off the the main highway. Yeah. And I was like, uh, this is where we're parting ways, basically. I was like, that's great. You know, I, I can take it from here. Winston-Salem, uh, you know, we spent all afternoon and evening driving. So by the time I got there, it was a little bit later. But uh, I was like, okay, day one, I got four rides. I went over 400 miles and I'm now in North Carolina. I'm like, this is already beginning to be a success. And uh, and I thought to myself, Winston-Salem, why do I know what Winston-Salem is? Like, why does that sound familiar? And it's like, oh, Wake Forest is in Winston-Salem. Google it real quick, find out I'm only two miles away from the campus. And this is in May, so kids are still in school. Yeah. And it turns out I got a couple buddies at Winston-Salem. So I shot him a quick text. I'm like, hey, you're never going to believe this, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm at Wake Forest right now. They're like, oh, dude, like, come on over. I went and I got uh, dinner with uh, my uh, old roommate's uh, ex-girlfriend. She swiped us in. We caught up. So I got a free meal, right? She yeah. just swipes me in. And then I meet up with my other buddy later uh, from high school. And um, he tells me, like, his roommate's uh out of town so i can sleep in his bed so i got to sleep on a bed in my right. first night ever and like he takes me on a tour of like the whole wake campus uh the wake forest campus which is beautiful, beautiful. and um i got a shower i got to sleep in a bed i got to meet up with some friends i met all these cool people uh the rides i had like along the way had great conversation with with those guys um and all this happened in one day and i'm like that was just one day I'm already in a different state. This is already moving along. I'm having a great experience. This sets the tone of the trip. It, it, like it's already uh, off to a great start. So um, every day after that was just a new adventure, new place, new people, new things to do. And uh, I was nervous at first day one, but um, you know, it, it worked out. What is it like when somebody starts to pull off to the side of the road? So this this architect you said was the one that drove you? Engineer. Engineer. Yeah. So some engineer starts to pull off towards the side. He asks you where you're going. You end up getting acquainted. And now you have 350 miles, several mm-hmm. hours with this person. What are the conversations like? Obviously a very outgoing person in the first place to pick you up. Um, I just wonder... Where did these conversations lead you? I'm sure a lot of different directions, but was there a basis of a conversation with the majority of people or were they all over the place? All over the place um, and never a dull moment with any of them. Yeah. Um, so I got picked up by all different types of people, all walks of life. Uh, but with no, it didn't matter who you were or why you picked me up. We had a great conversation that lasted the entire time that I was, you know, in the car with you. Um, just because anyone who was willing to pick me up would then ask me, like, hey, why are you hitchhiking in the first place? And then I would explain to them the story. I was like, you know, I'm not broke. I'm not homeless. I'm just doing this out here for adventure, for fun. And people loved the story. They resonated with it. They thought it was super cool. And, yeah. um and they would just ask me about all the places I've been to so far and all the stories and everything. And I mean, we just talk and talk and talk the whole, the whole car ride. Um, so, I mean, given that, you know, this guy in particular was like one of my first few rides, I probably didn't have as many stories to share with him. I'm just starting out, but still I was able to talk to him about what my plans were, what I wanted to do. And he thought it was just really cool. Um, so there was never a dull moment with anyone who picked me up 
always had a great time uh, just chatting away so much so that there were some cars that that uh when I, it was time for me to get out it was time for us to part ways that we genuinely felt like sorrow we we're like dang it has to end i have to like, like i have to get out right now right <laughs> yeah um no i met a lot of really cool people there's there's still a handful of people to this day that i talk to um you know overall i got over 100 rides and uh and they came in like i said all walks of life so there were it wasn't always just one person picking me up sometimes it'd be a group of people sometimes it would be a family sometimes it was kids younger than me sometimes it was single girls sometimes it could be anybody um and it was never never a dull moment so that was i think that was half the fun was talking to people really mm-hmm. and like like hearing their stories was probably one of the coolest parts and one of the parts where I got the opportunity to learn the most just from hearing all these stories from all these different people, things that I w- would have just never known beforehand. And a lot of these people were really interesting people too mm-hmm. because you got to think about like the type of person who might pick up a hitchhiker. Yeah. It's just like, you know, they might have a... I describe everybody that picked me up as a, a couple of them might have had a, a, a screw or two loose, but at the end of the day, everyone had good intentions. Mm. Um, and just made for really good stories talking with these people. Yeah, definitely. I would imagine if I were to guess that a majority, a vast majority, if you said that, say, 100 people picked you up, I would mm-hmm. say over 80 were probably over 40. Maybe 35 at most. And, and I could be completely wrong. Um, I just think that the younger generation has such a negative perception of hitchhikers due to maybe Hollywood or these different things, but I don't know the, the very few times I've seen hitchhikers myself. Um, I think my innate instinct is just to be like, eh, like no, no way. Like I'm not picking up someone. Um, I think that that has changed since I've heard, you know, people <laughs> that, like, like your story, but what was the demographic? Was there a certain type of person that was more likely to pick you up? Male, female, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got more males for sure than females. There are only a handful of like single girls who picked me up. Um, but but I mean, nonetheless, it did happen on both sides. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, really all walks of life, all careers, the rich, the poor. I got picked up in like Camaros, BMWs. Really? Whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had, <laughs> I had some sick rides. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I mean, really, every off-duty cops, pastors, whatever. Um, but I would say the two uh, most common demographics that I ran into were veterans, uh, just you know, old or young veterans, just guys who just weren't afraid and just wanted to help. Um, just it seemed to be a, a common reoccurring theme was was veterans, and then grandpas a lot of grandpas who used to hitchhike back in the day themselves Mm. and they were reliving their glory days and they would tell me all the stories about when they used to hitchhike back when it was like a really common thing to do or at least a lot more common than it is now it was the most common in the 70s or was it the 60s i couldn't tell you which decade in particular i think fairly common probably in both of them but i mean i I mean much more common in either one of those than it is now today you don't see anyone today but um I tell you what, those guys had the best stories too. They told me about what it was like when they were doing it, and it just sounded wild. Yeah. I, I wrote a lot of that stuff down, but 
Yeah. And I think another cool part, you said that you were reading back through your journal before this podcast Mm. and how important I'm, I'm an avid journaler myself, especially when I know that it's a super important time in my life that I want to look back on how important and how happy are you that you brought a pen and a pencil to document these moments so that, you know, when 40 years down the road or four years down the road, you're able to recall the moments. Super happy. I mean, I had to, I had to, I think my memory is, you know, I think it's pretty bad. If mm-hmm. I'm being, I think my memory's fleeting. I forget things all the time and things Same. like even like childhood memories that I cherish, like someone will have to remind me that that even happened. I'm like, Oh yeah. And then I remember it and like, Oh my gosh, that was such a wonderful thing. And it's like, I need to write things down or else because I don't want to, you know, ever forget cool experiences like this. And even if it's like, yeah, I remember that I went to this city and and did these things. It's the small, intricate details that Mm. you write down. So like every person who picked me up, I would talk about, you know, where they picked me up at, where they took me from, how far we traveled together. And then the things that we would talk about what type of person they were they were like the, t- the what we would you know discuss just as many minute details as i could because those are the things that you may forget like yeah i remember i got picked up by monica in a semi truck outside of dallas but what did we talk about what are the all the juicy little details that did that actually happened yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that did happen yeah she was my furthest ride actually 600 miles with her really mm-hmm. in a semi truck yeah, and semi trucks were, uh, you know, back in the day, perceived to be like the common hitchhiker. Most so when you say a, a semi truck, like an eighteen wheel. Yeah, right? so I mean like an eighteen. Yeah, yeah. it was eighteen wheel- wheels. So like the enormous trucks riding on the highway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that particular instance, um, I had a great time in Dallas. I spent probably three days in Dallas because I had family and friends in Dallas. Mm. So. I was actually sleeping in beds and hanging out with people and having a lot of fun. Um, but then when it was time to hit the road again, my you know Texas is, is a huge state, right. and I had already been to Houston and there wasn't much else I wanted to see. I was my next stop was Albuquerque, um, and uh, th- I mean the drive from Dallas to Albuquerque is just so lengthy. But luckily, you know Monica found me in on the side of the on ramp, and she decided to pull that big eighteen wheeler over and. Oh, a lot of um she informed me that a lot of uh semi truck drivers don't pick up hitchhikers these days and it's not even because they don't want to it's because they can't you know it's a liability for the companies they work for really oh yeah yeah i mean you're picking up hitchhikers you don't know what's gonna happen what risks that entails yeah um and so they even have like most of them have pressure sensors in the seats in your passenger seat that can tell if you're picking somebody up or not. Oh, okay. Um, so they're monitoring it. And luckily, uh, Monica has a dog named Targaryen. It's a husky. Uh, Targaryen after Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. But um, that dog would sit in the seat all the time. And so whenever her, you know, monitor was going off and her superiors were getting on her, she'd just be like, oh, it's my dog. It's my dog. In reality, she loved to pick up hitchhikers because she thought they were a lot of fun to talk to and to hang out with. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so she picked me up and um, we didn't... This was later in the afternoon. I think it was like a 12-hour drive. And when you're in a truck like that, too, you're, you're moving slower. Um, 
so 12 hour drive or something we weren't going to make it in that day so we had to pull over you know towards the end of the night into a truck rest stop and uh we figured we would continue the rest of the journey tomorrow and i said where am i going to sleep and she said you sleep up above she there's a those trucks are spacious inside so there's a bed on the you know main level that she slept in and targaryen slept on the ground right next to her and then i slept in the loft above her there was plenty of room for me (laughs) yeah yeah and we did and we slept and got great night's sleep and that was at a rest stop so the next morning we wake up and she as a truck driver has these swipes to all the rest stops that she could swipe me in for a shower Mm. so i got to shower and everything too we did that and then we hit the road drove however many more hours till we got to albuquerque so that was my longest drive and i think one of only two semi truck uh drives so over like out of the hundred plus drives i had only two of them were 18 wheelers wow yeah yeah i've always wondered what the inside of one of those semi trucks looks like huge i <laughs> i would always imagine that it would just be tiny like i've always imagined like half a twin bed and that's oh. kind of like where you're like right behind the seat tucked in and you just gotta gotta crawl into this little crawl space and fall asleep i'd say her bed was probably a fool you know like not yeah. a queen but a fool uh and there was there was pretty ample space yeah it's like it, it's surprising how big they are wow so this is obviously a dying breed of people that want to hitchhike and mm-hmm. um, especially people that aren't homeless or looking to get somewhere without any money. And I think it's kind of our culture has um, just kind of gotten away from it. And I think there are some laws against hitchhiking now. And as you mentioned earlier, you ran into a couple of state troopers <laughs> Explain those stories and and what what were the repercussions and or how were you able to get get through those situations? <laughs> yeah, so at the time, and this may be outdated. I don't know. Maybe I never even knew the law to begin with. But, yeah. but um, I believe at the time, the you'd be surprised that hitchhiking is legal in most states. Okay. Um, I think something like forty four states it's legal in and of the ones that it's illegal in uh most of those are like the new england area like massachusetts uh rhode island that type of stuff Uh, which i wasn't really up in that area so i wasn't concerned um one of the states where it was illegal in was nevada so i ran into some trouble after uh visiting vegas and the hoover dam I was in like the desert area in Nevada. I ran into, ran into trouble there. Hmm. Um, it's also worth mentioning though that like even though hitchhiking is legal in 44 states, there's certain areas where it's illegal, um, which is pretty much everywhere where I was doing it. So, <laughs> so, so like so like the on ramps to highways. Um, it, next time you get on an on ramp, look and you'll probably see there'll be a sign posted that says like no pedestrians. It'll literally be like a picture of a person with a X through it. Ah, yeah. Um, maybe not every on ramp, but a lot of them have it. Yeah. So, and that's because like you're no pedestrians are allowed on highways or on, on ramps. You're not supposed to be just out on walking around for safety reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For safety. So, um, but, and so like 90% of the spots I was hitchhiking was on ramps. The other 10% was 
gas stations and rest stops. But um, I mean that that's like a small like like no one really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyhow, so my first run in with the state troopers was uh, in Nevada. I had woken up in Vegas that morning. Um, in some guy's apartment he let me crash there the night before this random guy cool dude how'd you meet him <sighs> i was uh wandering the las vegas strip uh at like 2 a.m nowhere so i for i was sleeping outside most nights in my hammock yeah okay and there was just nowhere where you can string a hammock in the Las Vegas <laughs> like metropolitan area. Like, like I mean, it's all like no private shit. property and there's no parks and like I can't string a hammock anywhere. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Um, so at that point in time, I'm like trying to find like a hotel or something. They're all booked. Um, I didn't really stay in hotels. I stayed in like a few hostels throughout the trip if, if I really had to. Um, but at this point in time, like I'm desperate for like a place to sleep. So I'm looking for hotels. So I'm just walking down the strip, walking into every casino or tall building that I think is a casino or hotel, just trying to get a um, place to stay They're For some reason, all booked up. I was like, really? Like these places are giant. Right. <laughs> um, so then I'm just walk out of that building, walk into the next one. The next one I walk into turns out to be an apartment complex. Um, so, so I get to like the front desk and I'm like, hey, do you guys have any rooms available tonight? <laughs> like, uh, this is residential. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea. <laughs> and I start walking out and um, this guy sees my bright orange like backpack. My backpack was like really big and really bright. It was actually like a huge uh, conversational conversation starter yeah a lot of people saw this backpack throughout the trip and were like what is this guy doing and would just start talking to me yeah. and that's exactly what happened here in las vegas at 2 a.m wow. guy sees me walking out with my backpack he's like hey man what what are you what are you doing and it's like well <laughs> you know i've been hitchhiking all day and blah 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 and you know trying to find a place to stay and he's like you know i got a couch you can sleep on i was like hey man if, if you're willing that would be a huge you know i'd be super gracious and he was like yeah man come on up and yeah let me crash on his couch slept in slept on the couch and shower the next morning so there were a lot of instances like that where i ran into people along the way wow and, yeah super super nice guy um but that set me up um the next day where uh hoover dam's really close to vegas like less than an hour away so i you know made my way over there had fun checking out the dam it was really cool and then hitchhiked out of there and then if you're not if you're not at the hoover dam and you're not in vegas you're just in the desert mm -hmm. there's not much else so yeah i end up in this really small desert town um there's not much more than it's a lot of native americans out there too so you've got like these um native american rain casinos like a really small one yeah and a gas station and that's pretty much the whole town uh, just a strip of land in, in the dirt um and I was like, okay, that's where I got dropped off at. And uh, my next stop after Nevada is like, I'm ready to go to California. I got buddies waiting for me out in LA, out in Orange County. Um, you know, that's where I'm trying to get to. And so I start, you know, hitchhiking the road that will lead that direction. And 
I'm just standing on the corner. It's not even an on-ramp. This is just like a, some random desert road. Right. And out of nowhere, the state trooper flashes his lights behind me like, what? I, 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 I turn around. I'm like, what are you doing out here? <laughs> I'm like, where did you even come from? And, um, you know, he's like, hands up. And he gets out of the car, comes over, talks to me. He's like, what's going on? And it's like, hey, how are you doing? And uh, he's like, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, well, I'm hitchhiking. He's like, I understand that, but why? And tell him, kind of tell him what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I'm just traveling across the country, having a good time. And, and he goes, he's like, let me get this straight. This is like a verbatim quote. You're not broke. You're not homeless. You're just out here doing this for fun. I'm like, yes, sir, you got it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I tell you what, man, that's pretty cool. But you can't do it here. If you do it here again, I'm gonna have to ticket you. You can't do it here because it is illegal in Nevada. Yeah. Um, I'm like, that's completely fair. I understand. I won't do it here. Um, <laughs> this is where it gets really funny. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay. I check my phone, and because I I have a little bit of cellular service wherever I'm at, and it shows that I'm 18 miles from the California border. So I'm thinking to myself, because it's still pretty young in the day, that if I can just hoof it to California, just walk, that once I cross the border, I can hitchhike legally again, and, mm-hmm. and then I won't have any trouble. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll do that. Well, actually, scratch it. Before I even considered that, I was like, let me try to just Uber to the California border. I had a rule like I could do up to like five Ubers or something in the trip. I was like, maybe I'll just try to Uber um or take a bus yeah and i get i open uber there's no ubers (laughs) (laughs) so like i was like okay that box is like can't do that can't there's no buses either so can't do that um so i'm like okay so i'll hoof it then i gotta walk Um, i'm like 18 miles that's doable um that's far (laughs) yeah so i found out right (laughs) so so i don't know i must have walked six seven miles whatever however many miles i get into it I'm thinking about what time of day it is. I'm like, I still got 10, 11 miles to go. The sun's starting to come down. I don't think I'm going to make it. Like, there's no way I'm going to make it here, you know, in the remainder of the day. And uh, I had I was sleeping in a hammock most nights. I didn't have a tent. I just had a hammock. I'm in the desert. There's no place where you can string a hammock. There are no trees. <laughs> Right, and there, uh, and you can't sleep on the ground because there's snakes. rattlesnakes. Rattle, exactly. Oh, and it's like it's my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, and it became a real, a real, uh, <laughs> you know, threat at that point in time. And I was like, oh, I really didn't think this uh, through. Um, and I was like, what? Well, you know, there's no cars at this point. I've walked seven miles from this already very deserted town. Now it's like just the middle of the desert. There's nothing around me, just this one dirt dirt strip road. And it's like, somehow I still have cellular service. So I'm like, I'm in a really actual predicament here. I'm going to call, you know, the state trooper's office and like see if they can pick me up. Like I'm, this is an emergency scenario. Um, I know he told me not to hitchhike and I didn't hitchhike, but now I really need their assistance. Like I'm in trouble. Um, and I call them. And I kind of explained the predicament, like, hey, I'm stranded. I need a ride. Can someone pick me up? And uh, the operator, she's like, well, I'm sorry, sir, but we we just don't really offer that type of service. I'm like, really? 
like, like, aren't you guys? <laughs> like, I'm really in an emergency right now. <laughs> and uh, they're like, I'm sorry, like we we don't do that. I was like, it's like, oh shoot, well, like I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, this isn't me telling you should you should do this because it's illegal in the state of Nevada. But maybe you could try hitchhiking. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, yeah, I, okay. Sounds good. I'll, I'll talk to you. Bye bye. <laughs> I was like, I, I get off the phone and I'm like, okay. So this person who works for the state trooper offices just recommended that I hitchhike. I'm hitchhiking. Like, yeah. So the issue is no one's going down this road. Like, there. I might have seen like how many cars? One car you, an hour. Really? Yeah. One car. Were an you hour. ever like just? No. Them at, at first, I wasn't. I was committed to the walk. Yeah. Um. But then after that phone call, I was like, okay. The very next you know, car that comes by, I'm going to thumb it. And so I did. And, uh, lo and behold, that person pulled over, right? No way. Oh yeah. I mean, at that point, it's not even like, should I pick this person up or not? It's like, this person's in trouble. I need to pick, (laughs) like, like we're in the middle of nowhere. And, um, yeah, so they picked me up and, oh oh my gosh, dude, it's like really nice BMW. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Riding south. He lets me hop on in. We get to talking. Um, the guy tells me that he's only he's he's headed back to Orange County, California. No I'm like, way. no way, that's literally my next destination. And it's like three, two hundred, three hundred miles away. Yeah. So I'm like, this is gonna be a long trip. This is perfect. Um and uh I'm like, no way. I have a friend who lives in Orange County. He told me he's got a place for me to stay when I get there. I texted that friend, I was like, Hey man, I might be arriving sooner than expected. Um and then I'm, I'm talking with the guy who's driving me. He's like, the only reason he's going down this random desert road is because he's trying to stay off the main highway because he's hauling a trunk full of illegal fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome, man. Like, I'm just so grateful for you picking me up. Like, I won't tell anybody. That's sick. <laughs> and, uh, oh my God. Yeah. And it's and, and, and like a 2018 BMW or something. And this is like 2019 at the time. It's like brand new. I'm like, I don't know what. <laughs> this is awesome. And, uh, the guy told me back in the day he used to drive for Uber. He loves driving people around. He's got no problem with it. So as I'm texting my friend, he's like, oh, yeah, man, when you get here, come on up to my place. Like, I got you. We'll go get in and out tonight. You can have a, a bed to stay. And I was like, all right, that's that's sick. And, um, you know, we we drove the next four or five hours all the way out of Nevada into Orange County. And he dropped me off right at my friend's front door. I was like, thank you so much, man. That was such a great trip. And uh I went from being stranded in the desert to sleeping in a bed and eating in and out that night. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Dude, it seems like every single time it got to like the brink of something being a really bad situation. Obviously, we're just hearing parts, bits and pieces of the story, but it seems like there was a heaven sent angel every single time. Yeah. Like what what do you think? How did the stars align for that person to be coming to be going to Orange Orange County? Yeah. And when you're walking the Las Vegas strip that some person just points out your backpack. I know, right? Like what are those coincidences? What do you point where do you like how how do you explain those coincidences? Yeah. Yeah. I, 
great question man full of great questions today um thank you um yeah i i think part of this uh whole trip was like uh spiritual for me for sure and that in the respect that like you said right when things seemed that they were at their worst that like i didn't know how i was gonna have shelter that night or you know i didn't know you know if i was gonna be in danger or whatever it always seemed like miraculously last minute something would appear out of nowhere and i would be fine um so i had a lot of spiritual conversations with myself during that trip about like wow you know is this is this god you know looking out for me and um something to be said uh that i know my mom believes in very heavily and i definitely believe in uh to, to an extent is right before this trip uh my great aunt jenny had passed away i'm mm -hmm. talking like the week i left for the trip and my great aunt jenny was the closest thing i ever had to a, a grandparent um most almost all my grandparents pretty much died before I was born. So I never really ever knew them, mm. which is fine. You're not sad about them if you don't know them. Right. But that being said, that left like a void. I never had any grandparents growing up, except for my great aunt Jenny, who passed the week that I left for this trip. Mm. Um, and uh, so she, my mom always said like, she was my guardian angel watching over me over this trip. And I, you know, I definitely believe in that as well. Not just her, but God and everyone else. I agree. Uh, looking out for me and, and it really did seem like that because just as you described like the most miraculous things would happen right when i needed them most so crazy so crazy but not unbelievable yeah like i'm not i'm not surprised that there was some life-changing shift in your life that happened right before that that led to these different moments happening i that's something we haven't even talked about before, but okay. I'm sure that once those coincidences start to happen and it's just like the stars don't align like that two, three, four times. It happens so many times. It's like it happens it, once it in a lifetime. It can't be coincidence at this point. Yeah. Right? yeah. right. Wow. That's so crazy. What did your parents think when you came to them and said, <laughs> I want to do this? That's the part I feel. And I, and I also want to, were you, were you going through something at school to want to take a semester off or just things not clicking? Was it like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know if I'm in the right place. Yes. Yeah. Which, okay. What, what should I answer first? I would Fair. say, what was the reason that you took a semester off school and wanted to do this? Yeah. And then how did your parents react? Okay, sure. So we'll start with the semester off and um, yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I, Graduated high school. Um, I, I was a really good student in high school um, and went to Ohio State. Uh, you know, just who doesn't want to go to... If you live in Ohio, like everyone loves Ohio State. Of course, I want to go there. Yeah, I got the grades course. for it. And my brother went to Ohio State at the time. My older brother, he studied engineering. And I really didn't know what I... I, I had put very little thought into what I wanted to do in high school for the rest of my life. So basically I was just like, okay, I got accepted into Ohio state. I guess I'll go there. And, um, my brother does engineering. I placed, you know, I've always been really good at math and science for my strong suits in high school. Yeah. So it makes sense that I would follow suit and do that as well. So I guess that's what I'll do. I'll do engineering at Ohio state. Um, and that's what I did do and had a, you know, a, a pretty good uh, freshman year, a pretty good start. Um, 
but I didn't love it. You know, I wasn't particularly drawn to it. I was just doing it because it seemed to make sense, but it wasn't, you know, anything I felt like a super strong calling towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, I, you know, I did some job shadows and stuff that freshman year over at like Timken and wherever else. And, um, you know, I, I kind of saw the day-to-day life and was like, I don't know if I can really see myself wanting to do this. Um, so eventually, you know, sophomore year rolled around and I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to continue, especially because it was a really difficult program. It's like, is it worth putting forth all this um, effort when it, it meant sacrificing a lot of other aspects of the college life. Like you can't have much of a social life when you're mm-hmm. an engineering major and all this other, it's like, do I really want to go and do all this just to find out that I don't enjoy this career when I, when I'm already having doubts? It's like, um, no, I didn't want to. So I was like thinking, you know, I've always been, you know, people oriented person. I love building relationships. Um, I feel like I've always had a knack for business. I initially never wanted to do like a business degree because I was told, you know, growing up, like, oh, that's a waste of time. Anyone can, and you know, there's something to be said for that too. But ultimately I was just confused. And uh, I was like, let's just pause. Let's just take some time off, take a semester off, reevaluate and think, think, give, give myself some time to think and like think, what is it that I really want to do? What is it that I consider uh, meaningful and purposeful that I want to pursue? Um, and just give myself the time to do that. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, this semester, it's not that, you know, I'd rather take one semester off now than, you know, finish my college career and end up doing something I don't like, right? I'd rather take right. the time off now and figure it out now. So that's what I did. And, you know, you know, it's easier said than done. You, I do that, but at that point in time, people in my life are like, wondering like is he okay what's going on like is it are you are you, are you good bro and then, and then and then i tell everyone like oh by the way i'm hitchhiking they're like <laughs> they're like do you need help are you okay right <laughs> um lo and behold remind you i became infatuated with the idea of hitchhiking a year before the summer before when i saw rudy doing it mm-hmm. so the whole hitchhiking thing was premeditated before I ever found out I was going to be taking that semester off or anything else. So it just so happened to work out that because I took this semester off, I could leave for my trip a little bit earlier than expected. Yeah. But the hitchhiking wasn't like necessarily like a means to find myself and find it. I mean, it's an extent, sure, but it wasn't like I took this semester off to hitchhike. Mm. It just, you know, they just happened to occur at the same time period. Yeah. yeah. I respect that. And I I think it's very difficult for anyone, me especially, to the thought of taking a step back to take a step forward mm-hmm. is like a really difficult idea for a lot of people to process. Um, I'm currently in the transition from Cleveland to Columbus. Mm-hmm. And um, I made up my mind to go to Columbus before I had a job lined up. And I think a lot of the anxiety behind the decision was like, I don't want to be in a worse situation there than I am here. But even though like I know I'll be happier in that city, it's more young, it's more lively, more energetic. I know that I'm going to meet new people and and better people that I vibe with and things like that. 
I think it's it's very difficult for people to I think we're addicted to progress, right? Yeah. So the thought of taking a step backwards is very difficult for people to understand. And I I respect that you were able to see you know, I know the semester off wasn't planned to go hitchhiking, but even taking a semester off and being like reevaluating things, mm-hmm. seeing things for what it's worth and being able to say, hey, I'm going to do this now. And I know that with the experience I'm going to come back with, they're going to set me up and allow me to take those quantum leaps that I need in my future. And I'm just not capable of doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, it's it's hard for you to want to do something like that, take the step back. And it's even harder because of society, right? All of mm. society is looking down on you like, oh, why are you doing this? And like, oh, are you, you know, um, but ultimately I'm glad I did it. I think it was the right, the right decision. Um, I'd rather, you know, take the time, pause, reevaluate and have a, a steady path going forward than be going full pace down the wrong path. Right. Right. Right, dude. Well, hey, man, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, so much fun. I I really do believe this just this flowed, and I hope you felt the same way that we were able to bring a lot out. And I'm sure there's a lot more to still tap into. Um, I don't believe this will be your last time on the podcast. Right. I definitely I definitely want to have you back on here and see what you continue to do in your life and uh, as you continue to build your life resume. So. Man, I want to give you the floor, and I think that you just have so much to give, Connor, to anybody who's still listening. They're clearly invested in your story and are fascinated by what you've been able to do, and not necessarily want to put you on the spot, but what is something you would say to somebody who is you know, just stuck in their life and looking for a different, a transition, a transition? You can remember those times where you were there. And you knew that, you know, you had to take a step back to get there. You had to pivot. You had to do something because something just wasn't right and hard to put into words, but you did it and you've lived it. So if you could explain to the people who are still listening, what would you say to someone who's going through a tough time and and want to change in their life? Oh, it's tough. There's so many different ways to answer it. I think, uh, just speaking from personal experience is that I would say some days the world can get so heavy that it's hard to do anything. It's hard to wake up. It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to put forth any motivation or any work. And it's on those days in particular that you just got to remind yourself, like, you know, I might be working through something right now, or I might be going through a tough time. Things might not be how I envisioned them, I, you know, whatever it may be, it's on those days that are the hardest that you just got to say, you, you just got to make your world small. I think when you start to, to look big and think about, oh, well, I'm not a doctor yet, or I haven't even gone to college, or, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do for my career. Just calm down, slow down, focus on one day at a time, make your world small. Don't even think about what you're doing tomorrow. What, what do you have to do today? What tasks need to get done today? Focus on being present. What what task is in front of you today? Even if you're at a job that you're not content with, that you don't want to be with your whole life, you're there right now. You need to get that paycheck or whatever you, you know, you need to survive. So just focus on doing the best that you can today. Just 
task by task and knock them down the list. Don't don't stress yourself out thinking about the end goal. Eventually, you just build momentum by doing mm. the small things right day after day, day after day. It'll build and build and build. And opportunities will come when you least expect it. And one day, an opportunity will come that you did not expect. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably take it. Yeah. It'll probably be a life-changing moment. I mean, I, I think the best things that happened in my life, they, they came when I least expected it. You know, mm. I think almost when you try for stuff it evades you i I think uh when you're not trying and you're just living your life and just doing things is when opportunities come the most and and you can really just grasp those opportunities and but but it it comes down to just being present focusing on the day-to-day activities and keeping your world small awesome well thank you connor i appreciate you coming on i know that so many people are going to gain so much valuable information and insight from this conversation. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your Thursday night to come on here. And I can't wait to have you on again, man. This was such a fluid conversation and um, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, man, I agree. I was a little bit nervous coming up here. The first podcast loved it. That was great. Uh, You know, thank you for having me on as much as you've said that I may have been an inspiration to you. You've been just as much an inspiration for me, you know, ever since meeting you on the four by 48 uh, I've thought a lot about the way you live your life and your lifestyle and, and thought about things that I could do to improve my own. So it awesome. goes, goes both ways. Awesome. Thank you, Connor. All right. Until next time, guys. All Appreciate right. it.